Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. Welcome to this edition of V Radio. Uh, tonight I'm going to be talking about a recent blog post that I made on both BostonT.us and the V Radio blog, which you can see by visiting v-radio.org. That's v-radio.org. Uh, the hyphen is between V and R. Uh, tonight, uh, as my guest, I have Azzy from Zeitgeist Ireland. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, Azzy. Hey, uh, I'm Ozzy. I'm with the Zeitgeist Movement, and I'm on here with Neil talking today. All right. Well, definitely glad to have you on, Ozzy. Um, basically, because of the fact that I've had to deal with a lot of debates recently about the Venus Project, I put together this blog post, um, and I'm trying to get to the, the core of the matter um, to help people understand exactly where we're coming from, particularly people who are worried about you know any kind of state. So... What I had looked at, actually, I, I did a little bit of studying into anarchy, and what I found was that there are some similarities, mind you, just some, similarities between uh, anarcho-syndicalism, uh, anarcho-communism, and the Venus Project and what it advocates. Um, but there are also some critical differences. I'll be getting into that tonight on the show. Um, this is also a night when I'm willing to, you know, just totally uh, open the lines and give you guys a chance to ask your questions. You can go ahead and call in at any point during the show. If I don't notice you right away, uh, don't take offense to that. I actually have like three windows open while I'm doing all of the stuff that I need to do for this show. Um, so anyway, um, how are things going in Zeitgeist Ireland right now, uh, Azzy? Uh, we had our first meeting on the weekend on uh, Saturday, I believe. Uh, I wasn't able to attend that day. Uh, I'm not feeling too great. I heard about 20 people turned up and everything went well. And hopefully we're going to talk about um, agendas soon. Good. Um, well, uh, as far as me, I went to a local Michigan chapter meeting not long ago, um, and it was very good. Uh, very good fellows. I loaned out uh, one of my copies of The Best That Money Can't Buy, um, hoping to get that back at the next meeting, obviously. And um, I also wanted to give a loud shout-out uh, to uh, my supporters. I actually made my um, fundraising goal uh, rather unexpectedly, uh, like all in one day. Uh, one person donated $70 and another person donated 10 and that put us over the top. So um, I have already reset up the next chip-in for those of you uh, who want to donate, but you don't need to get on that until next month. I just wanted to get it up there to get it over with every time I replace it. So the chip-in for the month of October is already up. Um, if you don't think you, you know, if you want to spend the money now, you can, but obviously um, uh, I've already gotten what I need for this month, so there won't be any problems there. Uh, once again, you can donate. Uh, I have that same chip-in at... Um, on my blog, which is linked off of the V Radio website, on my web, webs, um, sorry, my uh, MySpace, which is also linked off the V Radio website. If you go to my show page here on Blog Talk Radio, it's all the way down on the bottom under Extras. Um, but once again, thank you to everybody who don who's donated so far. You guys are the reason I'm still doing this because I know that there are people out there that find what I'm doing important to their understanding. I still get good emails and private messages from people about, you know, the show and supporting it. So in any case, um, tonight, once again, I'm going to be reading from the V Radio blog. Uh, 
If uh, somebody from the uh, blog talk side can tell me if we sound okay on the Justin TV side, I would appreciate it. Actually, I think I have an idea for that. Real quick, and then that'll come up. But uh, I ask the people over at Bold Voices TV um, if they can hear me clearly or not. Excellent, excellent, good, it's coming in. Yeah, basically, in order to do this right without any kind of sound problems, I have to actually broadcast on two different computers at the same time, if <laughs> you can believe it. Uh, but it, it gets me the best sound quality, um, so and it allows me to uh, continue to do what I'm doing both on Blog Talk Radio and on uh, Bold Voices TV. Uh, for those of you who haven't checked out Bold Voices TV, um, basically, you can go to... Uh, let's see if I can pull up the link here. I got my window kind of marginalized right now. But, um, oh, it's just that simple. Uh, boldvoices.tv, um, and that will bring you to check out their um, network. Uh, we are featured as Zeitgeist TV on that network. Um, I'm going to tell you ahead of time that the channel is by no means in any way, uh, the chat network is by no means in any way really censored, so there's you know behavior that goes back and forth towards that, but generally you'll get some good conversation there. Um, it's, the network has a lot of different um, people who are doing efforts like mine for different causes. Uh, I think I'm the only Zeitgeist channel <laughs> on there, though. Um, so anyway, tonight uh, it is my intention to cover some questions that have been asked. I'm not going to be asking the questions pertinently, but I basically composed this piece and, uh, a, a little while back because I wanted to be able to translate our ideas to anarchists. Um, the idea really is that um, although uh, officially the Venus Project would prefer not to be referred to as a school of anarchy, it has all of the major elements of anarchy. Um, in that there is no state. Uh, it would obviously be a version that would deserve its own adjective, um, and that's what I'm going to try to describe now, is if there was a school of anarchy set up for the Venus Project, um, I would probably call it virtualism, um, meaning by computer. Uh, it combines a few different elements. I'll probably just get to reading here. And once again, I also want to comment on this subject is uh, the Resource-based economy caucus, based out of the Boston Tea Party, is you know getting a lot of buzz on various blogs. Uh, and at some point, I actually plan on debunking one of the radio shows that was done recently by the secretary of the party. For those of you who haven't already checked that out, you can go to bostontea.us. Boston is in the place. Tea is in the drink. Uh, it doesn't cause any it cost anything to join. You can join my caucus or not. Uh, the platform is very simple. It basically states that they oppose uh, increasing the size of government for any, re any reason, and they you know, support reducing the size of government in all fashions possible. That's not the exact wording, but if you see the platform, it quite literally is about like a page. Um, and uh, if you go to v-radio.org, you can also see, like I said previously, a link to my blog. Um, I've been updating that now regularly. Um, and uh, we're still having that debate on independent political report, which is one of the most populated, uh, basically the most well-known third-party news networks uh, for basically kind of like a, a, a newspaper, really, an online newspaper. Um, and it gets several hundred thousand hits a, a year, I'm sorry, a year, a month. And um, 
we have an article there based on the Resource-Based Economy Caucus, and the debate has been very interesting, to say the least, uh, as free market capitalists kind of you know, weigh in to make their points. I did want to actually share something with you that's not in this uh, recent thing that I'm getting ready to read. It was kind of my analogy. and uh, It occurred to me that anarcho-capitalists who don't want a government seem to want to replace the government with money. Now, before you automatically discount that idea, if you happen to be a free market capitalist, consider for a moment that basically in a free market capitalist system, with, you know, with particularly an anarcho-free market capitalist system, uh, you would be in a situation where money was the final authority. Money would become the new government. Those who had more of it would have more power. Um, as long as you have money as an exchange medium, you're going to have this problem. It doesn't matter what system you're in. At least that's what we hold in the Venus Project. So anyway, now I'm going to get on to this uh, blog post. I called it, um, at least on bostonc.us, I called it Further Explanation of the Venus Project. Uh, the Venus Project advocates phasing out of the monetary system of exchange in favor of a resource-based economy wherein all of the resources of a given community are declared as the common heritage of all the community's people. Like anarcho-communism and anarcho-syndicalism, the Venus Project advocates the evolution of the state, private property, and capitalism in favor of a common ownership of the means of production. Rather than focusing on labor as a means of exchange, as with anarcho-syndicalism or anarcho-communism, proponents of the Venus Project feel that the need for labor can eventually be eliminated entirely through automation. This school of thought holds to the idea that almost all functions previously held by governments can be held by machines in a manner similar to cyberocracy. With computer networks that are designed with sensors to continuously gather data on the status of the Earth and react accordingly, this cybernated system would facilitate the rapid transmission of relevant information from the source of a problem to the people or automated machines in position to fix said problem via a system of interconnected computer networks and automated information sorting software. Human decision makers would only be called in in case uh, in the I'm sorry called into into use in the case of unusual problems, problem trends, or through an appeal process pursued by an individual. It should be noted that this computer system will only be used to automate the infrastructure of the society, not the not to rule the people in it. People often pose the question, well, what if someone hacks into the computer? Let's compare the advantages of an automated infrastructure rather than one administered by people and the benefits of computers over politicians. Okay, let's say that your extreme situation takes place and someone hacks into one of these computers. The computer makes a better administrator because it cannot be bribed, it has no ambitions, and has no mental weaknesses. It has no ego and no agenda that it is not specifically given. If it is programmed to do something incorrect, then such a thing is traceable to its source, particularly since we would advocate all actions done with any system like this to be totally transparent. Now, take a politician. A politician can be corrupted by an untraceable conversation, a transaction with some financial institution, etc. When a political system, I'm sorry, when a political system with people in it is being used, tracing the problems is notoriously difficult. Ad campaigns come election time are very good at convincing people the person is a good candidate. Whereas with a computer, it's not corruption. It's a technical error that can easily be corrected. Rather than listening to CNN tell us that a politician has an affair, we can just print out the computer system history, and you don't have to wait four years to replace the computer if it is not working properly. Once again, it is important to note that we are not talking about computers ruling people. The computers basically function to automate the infrastructure of the society. 
rather than say a sewage department of poorly paid state employees or a private industry bent on cutting as many corners as it can in the name of profit. When a sewer pipe breaks, sensors alert the computer. This computer does not have a fat pension, has not been persuaded by any lobbyist to contract some other company to do the job with no bid contracts. The computer alerts the automated systems designed for the purpose of repairing the sewer pipes. The sewer pipe repairing robots do not belong to any labor unions that want absurd pay increases beyond what any infrastructure can hope to pay. They also don't have managers who don't care about their family outings and vacations. They don't get sick or tired, and they don't get lazy to get paid more by taking longer to complete a task. They also don't mind handling raw sewage. This is a plus. Venus Project advocates disagree with the notion... Actually, you know what? I'm going to pause there and bring Azzy on to talk about this at this point. So what do you think of this so far, Azzy? There's actually some stuff in here that's not in the original document I showed you. All right. Um, when you were talking about computers getting hacked into... Um, how many mainframe computers would we be talking? Because if we had one, wouldn't that be a technical disadvantage? Because if we were hacked into one and one only, and we only had one, then uh, we'd need some kind of redundancy. Right. Well, that's very true. And But you see my point as far as the analogy is that when somebody hacks into a computer, if they can hack into the computer, um, it's a lot easier to trace you know, what it essentially turns into a technical problem as opposed to trying to figure out which lobbyist convinced Barack Obama to do X item. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, of course. It's much more traceable. It's much more transparent to find out the truth of what happened. And I think it's also important to people that we, you know, important that people understand that what we're talking about here is um, you have to understand that we're talking about a different kind of government as in just a different role for government Government is no longer an issue um, that would be it basically wouldn't be ruling over people because we're basically talking about a government whose only function really is to work with the infrastructure. It's to work with keeping up the power plants. It's to work with uh, keeping up the food resources and you know taking care of the housing situations. That's it. It's not in there to be determining your civil rights. It's not in there to be determining whether or not it's okay for you to smoke pot. It's not there to arrest you. you know, it, the government that we propose is only there to essentially do a lot of the things that politicians are supposed to be doing, but generally do so in a very inefficient fashion. So, um, but that's basically that story there. And I mean, um, I've been trying to give people an, you know, an answer, you know, like the, the answer about the sewage operating machine. Um, um, a sewage operating machine that basically you know, goes around and repairs the pipes and doesn't have any of the problems that we talked about earlier that come up from situations like that. I mean, you, do you see what I'm saying in that analogy? You know, basically that you're dealing with total efficiency brought on by the fact that there is no money in the situation. Right. <laughs> cool. Well, I just wanted to, could I ask, uh, go ahead, the free market capitalists, don't they feel that, uh, well, some of them feel that the free market should have little or no government intervention. So at that point, uh, wouldn't that like lessen the need for a government in the first place? You're talking about from a free market capitalist perspective or with... Yeah. Okay. Well, the free market capitalists have some unusual ideas about what they will do to replace the government. Um, basically, for example, they believe that you don't need a national defense uh, they think that everybody can just hire mercenaries and personal security. 
this is anarchists, mind you, not just general free market capitalists. There are also free market minarchists who are not the same thing, like Ron Paul, for example, still believes in some government. Um, but anarcho-capitalists believe that, you know, we can get rid of the state and, um, you know, we can hire mercenaries for our personal defense and uh, there's all kinds of stuff. Like, you don't need courts. You can hire judges that both parties agree on to deal with all of your civil suits. It's it's a little strange. Um, I've listened to them go on about it for a long time, but it, it generally just it racks in the back of my head, and I I can't <laughs> listen to it much further. It, just, it sounds like it sounds like a lot of people agreeing on a few fundamental basics, but disagreeing on the kind of finite small issues to me. I agree, um, and it's that's why it's like when I was studying anarchism because a lot of for example, a lot of my first impressions of anarchism came exclusively from anarcho-capitalism. Uh, after I studied it more, I learned that there were so many sub, like basically sub-adjectives that go along with anarcho that, you know, like there's anarcho-communists, syndicalists, pacifists, green anarchists. Uh, you know, there's like so many different kinds of anarchists, and it's it's really hard to just get a uh, you know, get a lid on that really. But, you know, so it's basically anarchy within the anarchists. <laughs> More or less. I mean, they still have a unified purpose behind them. The only thing that, you know, the big point is, is no government needs to be their solution. And the adjective essentially describes what, um, solu you know, basically what adjective they would choose. Um, basically, you know, how the adjective would be describing how they want to get to a state of no government. Um, and that's kind of where they're coming from there, for those of you who didn't already know. Um, if anybody would like to call in to V Radio today, uh, it's at 347-945-7747. I'm going to post that number in the various chat rooms, and uh, we will see if anybody wants to call in and talk to me and Adzi today about this subject. Ask any questions. We are here to answer them. We have been accused recently of not answering questions, so I'm giving people an opportunity to come on the show and ask them directly. Um, but bearing that in mind, we uh, bring up the chat here and see what's up. Make sure everybody has the number. And monitor the switchboard. Okay. Um, now, this is a, a lot of people have been asking me about what the difference between the Venus Project and communism is. Um, and in many cases, it, it, you know, I had to look at the, the other than the obvious, because you get into these arguments with people, you get even the most obvious ones, which are the fact that we don't advocate prisons, uh, law structures, you know, police, things of all that eventually we'd like to see go away um, as soon as the, you know, the system starts up. But they generally say, well, that wasn't part of the original Marxist theory anyway. You know, what are your real differences with real communism? Um, so uh, I go on with what I said about this. Venus Project advocates disagree with the notion that many anarcho-communists hold that people will spontaneously commit themselves to labor for the betterment of the community and instead seek to use technology to automate menial labor, allowing mankind to focus on researching and developing better technology to improve the standard of living of all people. The Venus Project advocates contend that education, housing, food, and all of the necessities of life could easily be provided through the intelligent management of resources and the proper application of technology. It is egalitarian in approach, utilizing the scientific method to find the best possible standard of living for all people involved in a given society. If you don't agree with the findings, you are still free to conduct your life any way you wish. The Venus Project advocates reject any form of social class or social stratification, 
In addition, they believe that the environment must be protected through the use of sustainable and recyclable forms of energy and production, that all goods produced should be done so with sustainability and efficiency in mind to minimize waste and maximize quality, and that all communities should be as self-sufficient as possible. Um, so, did you have any comment on that? I don't actually, no. I'm well, I'm going to answer uh, somebody more. Calvell, one of our listeners on Bold Voices, asked, how many people do we need to test this economic model? Um, well, more Calvell, one of the things really about this is that it doesn't really require um, a lot of people. You can actually just do it yourself. People are already doing essentially what we're proposing in a lot of ways by getting off the grid and becoming completely self-sufficient to the point that they don't even really need money. Um, people who basically would hook up to, you know, they've got their solar panels or whatever going, you know, off-the-grid technology. They build their own um, hydroponic farms, maybe greenhouses, uh, and they have enough land to the point where they just sustain themselves. And that's an example of how just one person could even do this, one family even. Um, there are examples of, like, if you remember, I don't know how long you've been with us. Obviously, I know how long you've been with us, Mark Calvell. Um, Ibakerville on Ron Paul TV used to play all kinds of stuff about off-the-grid living. You want to talk about real freedom. This is the reason why we feel we have real freedom. We're talking about a sustaining society, a self-sustaining society where you're not enslaved to anybody, where you don't have to work for anybody, where you can easily take care of yourself. That's what we're talking about. We believe that the whole you know, uh, working situation basically being made to work is part of the is basically to us is, is a spit in the face of freedom. This is all about trying to give yourself as much of your own free time as possible. So, um, anyway, bearing that in mind, uh, where was I at? Okay, here we go. This is more about capitalism. The Venus Project advocates reject any form of social class or social stratification. Nope, I already read that. This school of thought holds that capitalism and the accompanying motive to make profit too often lead to corruption and creation of social class, leading to pollution war, and the exploitation of, exploitation of the workforce. A major point raised by advocates of the Venus Project is the existence of technological unemployment, that is, unemployment created by innovations in automation technology, eliminating human labor at an ever-accelerating rate. As employees seek to minimize their workforce, therefore minimizing wages paid from profits. Free market advocates have long argued that technological unemployment is a fallacy, stating that any unemployment created by machines will be absorbed by the production of the machines themselves. However, people who support the Venus Project believe that most of those arguments were made in a time when technology was far less advanced than its current state today, where machines make machines. Venus Project's advocates point out that the only labor force that can effectively compete with an automated machine is slave labor. The same conclusion has already been reached by profit-motivated business professionals who buy their products from factories in the third world where working conditions are extremely profitable, but equally inhumane. The economic situation that is created when massive unemployment becomes a permanent state of affairs rather than a problem that ebbs and flows with time will be a disaster. Um, basically, like when it comes to this whole thing of saying that the technological unemployment is a fallacy, I recently got into that argument with the guys in, from Guns and Bullhorns. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to that show, Azzy, but... Um, they basically they suggested a book called Economics in One Lesson. So I did a whole show uh, reading that part of the book that supposedly debunks the idea of technological unemployment. Now, one of the things about this in regards to this, in, in fact, a lot of the, the mainstay books about Austrian theory come from a really long time ago. The book in question was back from the 40s. 
Um, and as as you can already guess, the, the te- this is the reason that we feel that it's an archaic way of thinking, is that anybody who is essentially writing a paper back in the 40s, if they were an engineer at the time, would not be qualified to be an engineer anymore. And the reason why is because technology vastly changes. And the rate at which that technology is increasing and improving is accelerating exponentially as technology helps to create even more technology. Um, in the book in question, they basically went on to say, you know, well, let's say these, this one group of people, um, you know, is um, put out of work by these sewing machines, you know, that are, that are making these jackets, so therefore they don't need to be making them. They said that that workforce basically went through 40 years of poverty, um, and they kind of acted in the book like that was acceptable, the whole 40 years of poverty. But in the end, it was okay because eventually everything worked out because, you know, the manufacturing of these machines brought more jobs. The problem is, is that aside from the fact that I don't think 40 years of poverty is acceptable ever, is the fact that um, they basically were not really taking into account the fact that automation is now automating itself. Robots are building robots. You know, and that's the reason why this notion that technological unemployment is just going to vanish from that, it doesn't, it doesn't really hold water for us. Um, and I imagine that there are arguments in, in both directions towards that, but um, that's basically where I'm going with it. What do you think, uh, Azzy? Well, this book that was written in the 40s, did they take exponential growth into uh, any account or concern? Um, well, uh, they basically said that history proves over and over again, at least people like to quote this a lot, you know, that it's always a problem. The technocrats show up and they panic and they say, oh, God, all of our jobs are going to go away. And then, you know, a couple of years go by and they're proven wrong. And um, my take on it was that, yeah, that was true back then. You know, the, the technocrats were probably panicking a little bit too early. That doesn't mean that they weren't correct, um, that it was going to happen eventually. It basically, you know, and when you said exponential growth, that's another thing that I point out to people when they say that what we're doing is some kind of fallacy or their fantasy or whatever. As I say, you know, it is probably a lot more utopian in the long run to believe that we can maintain a linear consumption cycle on a finite planet, a planet with finite resources, okay, as was revealed in the Great little documentary, 20 minutes long, The Story of Stuff. You can check that out on thestoryofstuff.com if you haven't already seen it. It lays it out in very simple terms, and I would have to say it's a very good little documentary. Um, but does that answer your question, Ezzy? Yeah, I guess that answers my question. I'd agree with you that the, uh, I'd say the capitalist free market society in itself is a utopian concept when, you know, to us it's really a dystopia, and that's usually what utopias turn out to be in the end. Well, it's basically, you know, I, one of the things that I did is I read, of course, some of the different arguments that the other anarchist schools had about anarcho-capitalism. And one of those problems that they had, you know, was the fact that essentially if you have anarcho-capitalism where you have money, uh, people will uh, inevitably need to protect their assets because you have private property but you don't have a state protecting it, which will lead to people building larger and larger armies for themselves and then eventually – you're just going to have capitalism in the state all over again. It may call itself something else, but it will still end up coming down to somebody being in charge. And unfortunately, since it's going to come down to who has the most money, not an elected body, you know, not a body of people who actually cares about anybody but themselves, because remember, most anarcho-capitalists are generally encouraged to be selfish in all ways. 
um, you're going to end up instead with a situation where, you know, it's going to come down to he who has the most money rules. Um, it's, and that's why I said earlier that anarcho-capitalists seem to want to replace the government with money because that, that's what it will come down to. All of the authority that the state previously had will be in the hands of the people who happen to have more money. Um, I mean, you, you are. Go ahead. That sounds like it will lead to some sort of form of fascism. That's, yeah, that's exactly what I was getting at earlier, um, and that's why many of us say that you know, capitalism equals fascism. Even in the system that we have now, this is one of the things about that, and I said this on a different show, is that the insidious thing about the kinds of fascism you're going to get out of capitalism, now in socialism and in communism and all that, when, the, when you have the fascism, it's obvious. The thing that is more insidious about the capitalist fascism is that generally it's purchased. Um, and you don't always see it. Like, I honestly believe that our situation in the United States kind of proves that there's a fascism already taking hold. But, you know, rather than, you know, as, if you remember Outfoxed, uh, it's a really good documentary about Rupert Murdoch, where Orwell rolls in his grave. We don't need Big Brother because you don't need a government controlling what news you hear. You just buy the news. You know, and if somebody's going to print something that you don't like or whatever, then you just buy the newspaper. For example, to protect knowledge of the uh, that trans... Texas corridor highway that's supposed to go through Mexico and um, Canada. They just any the local newspapers they buy out all of the newspapers that are close to the project to prevent anybody from doing any um, any stories on it. Uh, when you know there was an excellent example in Outfoxed when uh, this and Monsanto was putting all these unnecessary chemicals in the milk that was proving to be harmful. So they basically purchased the TV station that was getting ready to do the story on them and then just shut down the story. This is an example of a different kind of fascism. They didn't have to go to the, you know, these radio stations or newspapers with guns and force them not to print things. They just purchased it. And I have yet to hear anything from a free market capitalist as far as to what the solution to this is going to be. Generally, their answer is, is that somehow the consumers are going to be the, you know, the, the balancing factor. And it never ceases to amaze me how uh, most you know, anarcho-capitalists, libertarians and such are against the idea of direct democracy because they feel it would be mob rule and that masses of people are not well-educated and not a good way to arbitrate things. So, but they think that those same people who are also the consumers will be fine you know, in, in balancing that. And I'm sorry, I just, history is proving otherwise. People know that Walmart does bad things. People know now that most you know, these places use uh, slave labor. Um, and they don't care. Because, once again, you're in a monetary system wherein people only care about their own personal gain and their own personal profit. And therefore, the, the serious side effect of that is that you're not allowed to think collectively in these systems at all. You're not allowed to think as a group. You're not allowed to think about the group. And you're encouraged not to. So what ends up coming out of that, basically, is, is that you don't care that you buying a product made, you know, that you got at Walmart that was made in China by workers working for 10 cents an hour, put out of work, you know, like hundreds of thousands of people here in the United States. You don't care about that. And then when the unemployment happens, you're not in a position to care. Now you're forced because the economy is so bad to pay, to buy their products anyway. And that's the vicious circle that's going on now. But anyway, um, going back to the show here, um, unless you had something, Azzy? Well, there is a famous quote from Benito Mussolini that uh, fascism should more appropriately be called corporatism because it is the merger of state and corporate power. And I believe that's basically what we're seeing today. I agree. I totally agree. And I don't think that that would suddenly go away with government regulation. 
I also no. don't think it would go away with corporate personhood. Okay. Um, if, even if you, you know, basically Bill Gates would still be just as dangerous if it was just Bill Gates and not Microsoft. He would still have all the same money. You know, it, basically that's in, so yeah, there would probably be some benefits from getting rid of certain regulations, obviously, but I don't think that just pulling a lever and deregulating everything is going to help because as soon as we're in that system where people are not regulated, for example, from how much they can spend on political campaigns, those people just own the world. Sorry, I'm just uh, telling people to go to Zeitgeist TV. If you're having trouble listening on Blog Talk Radio, uh, go to Zeitgeist TV or go to uh, Bold Voices TV to channel 27, I believe it is, of Zeitgeist TV, and you can listen to it there. Um, I think I have a link to that right now. I'll go ahead and put it in the chat for the person who, people who are having trouble. Um, but, yeah, you can listen to the show at this link, and it's coming in good there from what I've been told. All right. Phoenix, uh, go ahead and load up Zeitgeist TV and tell me if you can hear it fine. Kanzar suggests that uh, they would own the world too with Mr. Gravel's proposal. Um, the major difference about that and the, the basically the NI4D, the direct democracy thing, is that there are actually are limitations in uh, the NI4D to prevent people from actually donating too much money to one of these initiatives. And the other major quality control about this is that because it's in the hands of the people, if the people vote on a bad referendum, then the people will be in a power to change it. When, ele when elected officials make a bad law, they're not inclined to change it. And in fact, they're inclined to try to defend it because they don't want to look stupid for the next election. That's why you have guys like Bob Barr who, you know, like, although they claim that they're, you know, against the Patriot Act now that they voted for, if you get them in the right circles, they never just come out and say it because they don't want to look bad. So, um, but I can get into that at another time. Um, so let me go ahead and go back to this. Oops, I accidentally closed down that window. Actually, it looks like I accidentally closed down all of my windows. I'm not sure how that happened. I think Firefox crapped out on me. You still with me, Azzy? I'm still here. That's weird. All right. Sorry to everybody who uh, I just accidentally lost your channels for my chat room. I don't know what happened there. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bring up all these things again. But anyway, did you have any comment on anything that's been said so far while I'm doing that? Uh, no, not really. I just think we should uh, try and move on to uh, the blog that you were talking about. Okay. So let me bring up all these chat windows again so I can monitor the show. <laughs> Um, once again, thank you for tuning in to V Radio. Oh, hold on. Um, there we go. All right, bringing that up, bringing that up. We're almost good to go now. Once again, sorry about that, folks. Uh, Firefox just totally crapped out and just quit, as if the whole program wasn't even running. So, and I uh, will bring up the. Oops, wrong one. to bring up the chat room for Bold Voices again in case anybody has any questions over there. Thanks again, once again, for tuning in to V Radio. Um, and thanks to everybody who supported it so far. You guys have been keeping me on the air, and I really appreciate that. Um, once again, check out vradio.org. 
And uh, you, there you'll see links to various V Radio issues, such as my blog, which uh, actually has everything that I'm getting ready to read posted on it right now. Um, and uh, there we go. Everything back up and running. That was really strange. Never had Mozilla just vanish like that before. Okay. Oh, that means also that I need to bring up my switchboard again. That's just peachy. But uh, I hope we're still broadcasting. Yeah, I'm sure we are, actually. As long as the call is broadcasting, then we're broadcasting. I apologize again, everybody. I don't know what happened. But bring up my blog talk, and then uh, we'll have everything going in just a second, because I just got to click the switchboard. Here we go. Oh, it looks like we actually have a caller. Um, let me go ahead and bring them on. It's a good thing I got my switchboard up and running again. Start the chat session up again. All right. Caller from 813, you're on the air. Caller from 813, you're on the air. Hello? This isn't the first time this has happened. It could be a technical issue. Yeah, no kidding. All right, well, I guess I'll just leave their mic open, and if they're ready to talk, they can when they do. Um, but anyway. Yeah, that sounds like a bad connection. Or aliens. Oh, aliens called in the show. That's pretty cool. Mm. How was District 9? <laughs> I love District 9. That was an excellent movie. Uh, actually very pertinent to a lot of different things in this movement. <sighs> but anyway. Um, it's a machine. Yeah, <laughs> they're all still catching up to me. I know there's a lag on the actual blog talk. So anyway, um, as I was saying, we're going to get back to the blog now. And uh, thanks again for tuning in to V Radio. Let's pull it up. Once again, I apologize for these technical difficulties. For some reason, Mozilla, which is normally very stable, decided not to be today. Okay. Um, back to the blog. I'm going to have to find my space again. Okay. We talked about capitalism. Okay. The Venus Project also feels that laws force and coercion are not a productive means to affect social change, challenging instead that all behavior comes from the environment of the person in question. The circumstances by which people are currently defined as criminals would be examined closely to determine the root causes of behaviors in order to determine how best to help the individual so as to eliminate these aberrancies in the future. This school of thought holds that the idea that crime is generally a direct reaction to the scarcity of the necessities of life or through neuroses caused by the stresses of the situation of said scarcity. And that is, I'm sorry, and that this can be overcome through the creation of abundance. Uh, personal choice is absolutely respected in this school of thought. This is important because this comes up all the time. Rather than attempting to forbid certain modes of behavior, such as eating unhealthy foods or the use of dangerous drugs, researches would be, uh, research would be made public to discourage these choices untainted by the motive to profit from selling such products. 
Education would be centered on the cultivation of creative and analytical thinking, empowering people to solve problems and provide solutions. Now, the, the big point about this basically is this. Say you want to eat, you know, cheeseburgers, um, and obviously because the Venus product doesn't actively produce unnutritious food, um, I mean, we're not going to stop you from eating cheeseburgers, and we're also not going to stop you from using drugs. We will, however, without the monetary system to taint it, we will research into the effects of you eating cheeseburgers and the effects of people eating, you know, doing drugs and make that information public. And then information will have a lot more impact because people will know that the research in question was not motivated by a drug company trying to get people not to use marijuana because they don't want people to be able to grow their own painkillers you know, or McDonald's trying to research and say that its food is completely healthy because they want to sell more burgers. These are examples of the reason why in the past such research was not as much of a deterrence as it should be. And you always end up with people on two sides of the coin because there's money to be made. When you actually have researchers that are devoted towards the purpose of really finding the truth, then people will still be free to make their own choices, but the difference is, is that those choices will actually have, you know, real, legitimate information. Now, um, it also values the use of the scientific method and logic in all decision-making stating that the best way for all my, mankind to live the best possible life will only be clear through rational thinking that has been tested for its validity. Now, this concept is the work of industrial designer and social engineer Jacques Fresco of the Venus Project. Fresco has worked on both designer and invent, at, I'm sorry, worked as both a designer and inventor in a wide range of fields spanning from biomedical innovations to totally integrated social systems. Fresco believes his ideas, some of which stem from his formative years during the Great Depression, would maximally benefit the greatest number of people. Fresco was compelled by his early childhood experiences during the Great Depression to find a sustainable society for all people. In pursuit of this, he traveled to an island in the Pacific where there was little to no conflict between the native peoples present due to an abundance of food and shelter. What he witnessed there was a society with an environment that rendered it almost completely free of conflict. With all the people's needs in abundance, there was no need for competition. Fresco then went on to research ways to recreate this effect in a modern world through the use of technology to create the same circumstance of abundance. So that was the conclusion of the blog. Um, go ahead and um, basically, uh, Azzy, did you have anything further to comment so far? Um... No, not really. Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> That's totally fine. Just if something comes up, let me know. But we have another caller anyway. Let's see if this works. Caller from 813, you're on the air. 813, represent. Hey, how's it going, Neil? This is Chris, the AF Heretic. Oh, hey, AF Heretic, what's up? What did you have not in a whole lot. so far in this? Um, from what I could hear, you were just talking about uh, Jock Fresco and I guess his uh, formative years when he was on that island, um, about how I guess it uh, shaped his um, you know, view on exactly what his situation was. You know, you know, uh, yeah, I, just, I just chimed in a few seconds. I only heard the last few seconds of that. But you were just discussing his, um, him being on the island, right? Yeah. We were talking about um, the island. Well, I mean, have you been listening to the whole show or what? I have actually just got back in. I had to take care of um, something. I actually just ran down the street to go pick up something with my roommate, and I came back here. Um, if you're discussing Jock's formative years, I'd also like to point out, if you haven't already, um, how he used to go to different meetings with the, the communist technocracy, just trying to figure out exactly the root causes for the situation. As everybody knows who's listening, he also saw during the Great Depression how 
there was stores filled with milk and the provisions that people needed, yet at the same time people were standing outside going hungry. That's very true, definitely. Um, we just got Proxy on the line. Hey, Proxy, did you have any comments so far? Well, one of my comments is that a lot of social problems can actually be changed with the removal of money from the system, such as uh, the drug trade and market that all relies on um, currency in the system to function correctly. Um, the actual supply of drugs would dramatically decrease when currency is removed from the system because there is no actual um, motives for selling the drugs to the populace because um, the lack of resource acquisition. That's basically what I wanted to say. Well, that's definitely true, and I think that that's one of the major aspects also that Roxanne talks about, is that we want to get rid of the use of harmful drugs also in a way by, um, rather than trying to eliminate choices, which doesn't even work, by creating an environment that is so interesting and free of stress that a lot of the reasons why people turn to drugs will be re removed anyway. So I like to that's, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that a lot of it has to do with uh, scarcity-induced neuroses almost. A lot of times it's people who are in dire economic straits are the ones who usually turn to drugs and alcohol abuse because it is something that, you know, it's their only thing to grab onto where they feel they have some control, even if it's over their own body, to detrimental effects. I mean, yeah, definitely. I don't use it for a social aspect like uh, rich teenagers or rich celebrities like Lindsay Lohan, etc. Well, the thing about the rich teenagers is generally they're also kind of bored, um, as you can probably imagine. That's another reason why we thought that the, the utopia feeling that the thing that all capitalists are hoping that they're going to get, which is that the notion that someday if I have all these toys, then I'll be truly happy. You know, I know a lot of rich people, and they're not really any happier than anybody else. And, in fact, they're usually very stressed out and, ironically, worried about, of all things, money. Um, in the hobbies that I practice, uh, reenactment and such, you get people from all kinds of walks of life. You get people from the welfare crowd all the way up to the people with, you know, 12-bedroom houses. And all of them have complaining about money as one of the major things that they do, um, basically meaning that, you know, even my friend who had two brand-new cars and a six-bedroom house and was, you know, would always trade his cars in every year to get new ones, you know, even he was worried about money all the time. You know, it just basically that's the neuroses that we're talking about, the stress of the situation that it's always being held over your head that you may or may not have the money you need to survive. Um, so anyway, um, go ahead. I'm sorry about that, man. It's been proven through, uh, I guess, um, scientists, um, this one famous psychologist mentioned that getting a paycheck is akin to getting a fix-off drug where money itself is a form of drug, and when it becomes scarce, your body actually has a physical reaction to it. That's very true. We actually have another caller on the line from the 313 area code. That must mean local to Michigan. Um, I live very close to 313. Let's bring him on the air. Caller from 313, you're on the air. Yeah, it's Scotty. Scotty Bowman? That's right. Hey, yep. Scotty, what's going on? Okay, well, um, I mean, you've seen some of my points that we've personally emailed back and forth, but um, based upon what I've heard and read so far, what I'm really looking at here... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Pause for just a second, Scotty, so I can tell them who you are. This is Scotty Bowman, the Libertarian candidate for Senate for uh, the state of Michigan. Uh, really good activist and um, somebody I consider a personal friend. I just wanted them to know who you were, Scotty. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, thank you. That was in um, 2008. The... Um, 
when I wrote, well, my impression overall here is basically, um, well, for, first of all, I will say that I fully support the right of any group of people to organize, to form a community voluntarily, however large, um, in which they can try out whatever social system or economic experiment they want to do. That part, um, as far as if you want to form a Venus project, a city, and go ahead and do that, and you got a bunch of people want to do it, I'm for that. And in fact, only in a really free society would you be able to pull it off without interference. Uh, that's the first thing I would say. The second thing, though, is as far as doing it on a global scale, what my impression is really this is just another form of um, of communism in which you basically have now have a government, but your government now is a um, automated government rather than a human government. Well, that's true only to a certain extent. Um, communism had a major weakness in that it kind of expected that people were just going to contribute, and we know that that doesn't work. I have a friend of mine who went to Russia once, for example, and there was this guy just tinkering around with something on his porch, and he asked him, do you guys ever go to work? He's like, well, yeah, we go to work if they show up and make us, but we don't really go to work otherwise. Yeah, nobody really wants to do that kind of menial work. That's the reason why we suggest that you should automate it. Um, as far as a global scale, that's still only going to happen voluntarily. If people on a global scale decide that they want to live their lives sustainably, then that's fine with us and we encourage it. But there's never going to be a moment when anybody who's actually advocating our ideas is ever going to suggest that we need to be forcing anybody else to do it. We also don't believe that force and coercion even really creates social change anyway. You can't make somebody feel the way that you want to want them to feel with guns. You can scare them, maybe make them comply, but that's not really a, it's not a paradigm shift in the way these people think. So, okay, so wait, did you because maybe I misunderstood. My impression was somehow this would be imposed universally, but you're saying simply to um, allow these communities to compete in a sense on the global scale for people's um, for people's interest to be participate in this is the way they want to go, and if they don't want to do that, it's still their choice. But this would be um, an option that people could live in such a society. Exactly. Um, actually, that's pretty much exactly it. I wouldn't say that we were competing overall, other than the fact that, yeah, I mean, if people see that what we're doing works, then you know, then we feel confident that that will be enough to get people to you know to join. And if they still don't want to join, that's totally fine, too. I mean, I talked to Jacques about, for example, the Amish people. The Amish people's religion pretty much prevents them from using technology. And his, his answer to that was, well, um, we'll make things available to them. If they want to join, they can. If they don't want to, they don't have to. Um, so that, that's basically how this works. There's no uh, conquering the world going on here. And we don't want to take anybody's rights away. To If you want to trade, if you want to use money, go ahead. It's just not what our society is about. Um, and that's basically what I, you know, where I was coming from on this. What I usually try to use to try to explain to people this is that our idea is, is that people should be living sustainably and hopefully totally free of the need for money. This is not about taking your rights away to have money. This is about making obsolete. Um, can you okay, well, then I, I would say, wait, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. His proxy's kind of loud. I wanted to ask him to mute himself. Go ahead. Now, what were you saying, Scotty? No, I, I, in, the, in that case, because I was looking at, you know, I was thinking of this as like essentially pushing other things out of the way, but it sounds like the way you're presenting it now that it's actually um, not incompatible um, with libertarianism or 
even laissez-faire capitalism to the extent that with, um, within that context, in other words, that where you'd be allowed to go ahead and form a community that is like this, that the mm -hmm. um, principle of laissez-faire would mean that the, um, all, all government would have to leave their hands off because you would have a um, voluntary arrangement with your citizens or members or participants or however you want to say it, just label the members of the community. Um, and if, in fact, um, by attraction, um, this became the predominant mode of existence on the earth, then that's just the way it comes out because that's what people choose. Right. And we basically, like I said earlier, we're confident that people, if given the opportunity, will do it. We actually think that a lot of people would already be doing it. A lot of people are not even aware that there is such a thing as off-the-grid living. A lot of people are not even aware that they can get rid of their electric bill. You know, they're not aware that they can grow their own food. And in fact, those, those arts, the skills, even just gardening, a lot of people don't even have a clue. There was a time when nobody on this planet did not know how to garden. You know, I mean, if, give me an example. I usually use this one as uh, like a little house on the prairie. Way back, I'd say, I can't remember when that, that was time, that was basically when that was timed. It was sometime during the Old West. Uh, and the, their father, Mr. Engels, would go to the general store if he had to. But for the most part, he didn't really have to do that very much. He had his own farm, his own land. You know, his wife could make their clothes. They would go there every now and then to trade for maybe a couple of items, maybe some tools. But for the most part, they were mostly self-sufficient. And that sort of knowledge is kind of going away, which unfortunately just makes us even more dependent on the money system. And, you, you know, libertarians and you know, members of the Venus Project certainly agree on the fact that the, you know, the fractional reserve system is a scam. Um, it's one of the actually, the, is that although we, yeah, we, we understand a lot of people think that if we switch to sound money, everything will be fine. But the answer I usually give them is again, you know, because it just keeps happening. You know, we just keep having to do this. You know, every so many, oh, like so many years, you, you know, you get another Federal Reserve or another central bank or another fractional reserve system. I mean, you can sit and watch the Money Masters. It's like three and a half hours of how many times it's happened again and again and again. And that's why we advocate just removing it from the scenario. That's just how we choose to live. And once again, yeah, there's, there's nothing. And that's one of the reasons that actually is I've had to disarm a couple of libertarians about the same subject. It's because the first thing they jump on is they immediately assume that we want to establish some kind of super state that's going to, like, you know, round people up and force them to do this. And it's not just that we oppose that morally. It's that we don't even really think that's effective. I mean, how many people, like, you know, that have ever been oppressed have ever developed the values of the people who are oppressing them? It doesn't work. I mean, yes, it's hostile. Of course, it's immoral, but it doesn't work. You know, that's, you, you have them the whole time hating you and anything that you represent. They may not be talking about it, but they don't like you. Um, and that's, and that's, that's kind that's of where it was true when you look at our foreign policy, especially, and that's quite self-evident, um, mm -hmm. that obviously when you dominate people with a different culture, they're not going to be so attracted to it as, as when you're the big shining city on the hill, um, and your own culture is failing them to different stories. Um, um, I guess I'm getting a lot of noise. Yeah, I'm not sure where that's coming from. Um, it sounds like it quieted down a little bit. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, and say, well, you kind of you remove my moral objections, but then it still get back to the physical issue of, okay, you have a you now have a distribution system, okay, that's based on the assumption basically that whatever people ask for, they can have. Mm -hmm. um, that seems to be what I'm getting at, and I just don't see how one 
it seems like all you you'd end up doing. Let me give an example. Actually, now he did give the example of the island, which is a low tech version of this. But the idea there was that you had a um, you know a, a basically an abundance on that island. Now it seems like in that case you're talking about a natural resource abundance as opposed to a human resource abundance or an abundance of knowledge and technology, which is a different thing. In a resource well, abundance model, you do have a limit, and, it's, and basically when people have that much abundance, they um, consume and reproduce more rapidly until they've consumed it all. Now, of course, if you have a technological society, you can find ways to get around some of the negatives of that. Um, right. Well, that's actually, I, I wanted to get to that, but I, I think Proxy wants to say something because he queued up his mic. Uh, did you have something Easter Island is what comes to mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess not. He didn't. Okay, but no, the island, what you were talking about, actually, was where Jacques Fresco got his ideas, uh, is that he noticed that the way that that culture functioned, because there was no conflict, because everybody had what they needed. Um, and with technology, you can mass-produce things, you can make sure that things are ecologically sound. Um, and generally, then, what his plan was is essentially, with the advantages of modern society, coupled with the ideas of abundance, you're going to have the same effect. You're going to have the society that's free of crime and war. Um, obviously, there will still, you know, occasionally be burps every now and then because we're human beings. But in, the, in comparison to the, the setup that we have now, where everybody basically has to screw each other over to live, um, I, we think that there'll be a hell of a lot less strife. We also don't think it's perfect or utopian. We just think it's a lot better. Were you ready to say something, Proxy? Oh, and he goes muted again. <laughs> Actually, okay, I got something you to Go ahead. Um, I like to say that, you know, with the islands, it just shows that all cultural value systems are subjective, and an economic system also falls within that sphere of influence. You can change a value system, you can change the way that people act in it, but if you were to just take away the monetary system tomorrow and have everybody living with abundance, they would not know what to do with themselves. There would still be a lot of socially abhorrent behavior. If, you, if you're really talking about serious change, it's a top-down approach and it happens gradually over time. For instance, if you were to take somebody from nowadays and go to that island, the first thought would be, how, do I, how can I maximize its resource potential for my personal benefit? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, initially that might happen, but, I, but as was evidenced in the, the, the murder foul study that was talked about in the uh, Zeitgeist orientation presentation, every time there's an increase in unemployment, and therefore obviously uh, a decrease in the amount of money everybody has, crime rates go up. It essentially creates a circumstance of scarcity of money, and therefore the crime rates go up. Uh, whenever there's a situation where your resources are depleted, you see people going to war over it, particularly if they're resources that are profitable. That's the reason we're still fighting over oil. Um, now, we're coming down to the last two minutes of the show. If you guys would like to stay on a little longer, I didn't expect Scotty to call in. Um, it'll still actually record it. It just won't be broadcasted live. Um, so if you're interested, Scotty, if you have more questions, since I'm on the phone with you anyway, go ahead and bring them up, and um, our listeners will be able to hear them later in the archives. Okay, I was just basically, um, you know, I kind of hopped into this. I saw this come up on Facebook. But I, I think there's um, a lot to be worked out. I mean, obviously, I, I don't have a moral objection to people trying out any community, and if it fails, it fails. And that's why I guess that's sort of a scientific thing to see what works and what doesn't. Right. But, um... I, I really don't see how this would overcome most of the shortcomings of any other communal or socialist model and 
putting in the gimmick of a technological um, fix, somehow making it all work better, it doesn't seem like that's necessarily going to fix it up all that much either. I mean, even um, Mark had talked about the notion at one time of the assembly line and the routine of the factory somehow being able to be some kind of stable system in which you no longer, the workers just own it and no, you no longer need essentially any government and somehow being stable. But I think even, I think it may have even been Fresco who said the one thing that's certain is change. I'm sure a lot of people have said that. Um, well, he talked and about uh, it, that, but that he stability didn't really doesn't seem real. Hmm? Uh, well, he talked about those automated things, but they didn't really exist at the time. Uh, technology was nowhere near what it is now, um, and it just, I mean, we're definitely seeing an impact because technological unemployment is already affecting the economy. The difference is, is that now, it, the, when, that, when that happens, rather than it benefiting everybody, uh, it only benefits the people who don't have to pay anybody wages. Um, we're now down to the last like 30 seconds, I believe. So those of you who are listening to me live on Blog Talk Radio, you'll be able to catch the rest of the show on the archive that will come up afterwards. I'll repost it again. Once again, thank you for listening to V Radio. Um, please visit vradio.org, everything else that I repeat at the end of the show. Uh, but anyway, um, go ahead and continue, Scotty. Well, actually, I'll point out that, you know, like you said, the, the gimmick of the technology is one of the major things, actually, that fixes the weaknesses. When you study even anarcho-communism, they kind of assume that everybody's just going to kind of work and because. And we know that isn't going to work. Uh, generally, in fact, we kind of think that work, you know, forcing people to do stupid menial jobs is actually kind of offensive. And it prevents people from really exploring themselves, really getting to do what they want to do, particularly if they have to do it in order to be able to survive. It's the, you know, we ex basically expect that if you can get rid of as many menial tasks as possible through automation, then people will be able to develop. You'll have a lot more scientists. You'll have, you know, people like Edison, uh, Tesla, those kinds of people will actually become way more common uh, because we, also that goes into the education style that we propose. But um, that, that's kind of a direct answer to your question is that, you know, it comes down to the fact that socialism, especially as you see, socialism fails here in Michigan because they're trying to patch some of the failures of the broken up, capitalism system that I guess I agree is not a free market capitalist system here in Michigan but um, they try to patch the flaws of that with socialism and that's not working. Granholm, basically the you know the whole state almost shut down, I think it was last year because of it. If there's no money in the system to use to pay for the socialist systems, then they break down. Um, and basically when you're, when you're dealing with this though, it has to do with the fact that the weaknesses of socialism, communism kind of expected everybody to get together and pitch in. And we believe that some people will do that. We don't think it's going to be on the massive scale. We don't think there's going to be people lining up to clean out the sewers, for example, and jobs like that we want to eliminate as much as possible. Okay. But what about when things break? Most, uh, well, you could still end up having, obviously, there'll still be some people who specialize in fixing stuff. Some people actually enjoy that job out of hand. But in addition to that, robots can be programmed to fix other robots. It's actually happening already. Um, and especially if you have computer diagnostic systems set up throughout your infrastructure that tell you that something's broken um, and tell you directly where to go, a lot of the labor uh, involved with it, you know, you know, you don't have to say, okay, well, this water main is broken. We don't know where. The guy's got to go down somewhere into the sewers to figure out where it is. Then he's got to ascertain what the problem is. If you set up the infrastructure in such a way that the diagnostic is telling you, this is broken, this is it, right here, fix it, not only would it be easier for a machine to handle it at that point, 
it would also be easier for anybody who's tasked to do that to handle it because the job is right there in front of them. It's the reason we use diagnostic computers in our cars now. It makes things a lot easier than just, you know, fussing around with an engine, hoping that you're going to pick out, figure out whatever it is that was broken. Neil? I'd like to uh, point out that, in my case, I fix airplanes for a living. I fix the, uh, the radios, the radar, and uh, systems regarding, you know, the um, avionics, basically avionics systems technologies. Um, most right. of the people that I work with want to fix airplanes because that is something that they've always had an interest in doing. They don't do it out of a social necessity for it. They've done it because ever since they were very young, they've had a love of all things aircraft. So I think that in a proposed system, you'll find that people naturally gravitate towards um, jobs or, you know, basically occupations that they've always had a natural tendency to like. For instance, computer technology, robotics. You know, I can go on and on with that. And I'd also like to say that... Um, when it comes to people you know, wanting to do these jobs for jobs that aren't that maybe people don't want to do, because people see if the system is worth keeping up with, they'll volunteer to do that. And if it isn't, then you know what? I'll sign up and I'll do it. I'll do the dirty work because it needs to be done. Unless people don't want to, you know, have a sewer system that works. You know, if somebody needs me to stand by, you know, look at a valve, make sure that's not going to blow up, then yeah, I'll have no problem doing that whatsoever. Well, that's actually, you know, I share that because I really wanted to get into robotics when I was a kid. I still do. I love robots. I'm very fascinated by robots. And I, if, if I could afford to go to school for it, I'd have done it. I'd let myself get talked out of it because I, don't, I have a learning disability with math. And since then, I've talked to robotics engineers who were like, why did you let that hold you up? I don't do my own math. That's what computers are for. <laughs> so it and does happen. Uh, um, so did that answer your question on that issue, Scotty? No, because it just um, it presupposes, and it, again, I mean, other than the notion, I mean, even aside from, I mean, when I brought up the assembly line thing, I mean, even aside from the fact that you have, I mean, which is, is a big component of it, the fact that you still have human workers who aren't going to want to do the drudgery um, in that model, is still the other aspect, even if they did, the assumption is that somehow you could have a constant system that um, is somehow can just function based upon the indefinite stability of just that I'm sorry, pocket just of the world. And I don't think you can. You're, you're saying, saying that we can't... Uh, oh, you go, go ahead, ahead Heretic. Okay, I was going to say that, um, just keep in mind that when we're talking about transition, it's multi-decade. You know, I talked to some of my friends who are Democrats. I'm like, you know, you say you're progressive. What are you progressing towards exactly, for example, you know? And also when it comes to communism, remember, that was written in a 19th century context. We're in the 21st century. And such notions as this being, you know, communist, um, there might be some things that we share similar. If you were to write down a Venn diagram, I'm sure a couple of things, you know, pop up in the middle. But what we're already proposing is something completely different. If there's a slot rule between communism to free market capitalism, what we're saying is we're trying to transcend that slot rule altogether and create a completely different paradigm. And the paradigm that we're even, you know, talking about, it's really only a concept. The way it will actually play out down the road might be, you know, different in many ways. Because, you know, eventually we're going to get some of the greatest, you know, the best minds of not only our generation, but subsequent generations to work on these issues. 
and automation on a scale that we're not even prepared to deal with nowadays is going to be happening just 15 years from now. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, people like Ray Kurzweil, for example. He says some of the most like, groundbreaking things, and he backs it up with serious numbers, and that's why he's attracting huge audiences. He has, I think, two major motion pictures coming out in the near future just on that subject alone. So when it comes to, you know, what we're trying to do is, you know, get with that historical baggage of a lot of these ideas because, you know, for instance, going back to the failure of communism, you had people like, you know, the Bolsheviks, you had Stalin. They totally took this idea and destroyed it. They destroyed it for everything it was worth and just used it as a means to dominate their population pretty much for their own personal ends. And meanwhile, they were living in huge palaces while the people were in, you know, three block long. Yeah, exactly. They were in three, you know, three block bread lines. Meanwhile, the people who actually ran the program were living very lavish lifestyles. Yeah, we don't, we don't approve of that kind of attitude at all. Um, we are egalitarians <laughs> for real, real. Not like Kim Jong-il pretending to be a communist and then sitting up in his palace, you know, with his inner circle while the majority of his, you know, North Korea can't even get electricity. Um, but you, you, like, you were Go ahead. I was going to think of it like this. You know, in most social economic systems, there's a top of the pyramid. What we're trying to do is raise everybody to that highest standard so everybody has the maximum control not only of their lives but of basically do whatever they want to do within the, within the rules of the system. And I use system loosely. I mean, you know, in a sense, this is kind of a form of anarchy, but at the same time, it's the most democratic thing you can think of because everybody's raised to the highest standard of freedom. That's all I wanted to chime in with, you know. Well, yeah, and it should also be understood that our idea of a standard of freedom is just that you're, you're going to have access to just about everything you want as long as it's available. And if it's not available, if there's some kind of shortage, then rather than somebody capitalizing on that shortage or making money on that shortage or even encouraging that shortage in the case of the oil industry, shortages are treated as, like, national security issues, so to speak, and then they're dealt with. You know, and if you can't, like, find more of it, then you replace it. Um, that's how these things get done. Um, so, anyway, Scotty, did uh, that answer your question? Oh, in a way. In fact, bringing up the shortage is exactly one example of where you would um, remove the stability. If you have a system that's working based upon a certain, um, you know, process, uh, you know, materials come in at a, a certain input of materials, there's a certain source of energy, and so on and so forth, um, that it seems like if you run out of something, then that system can't be run in a gross manner. Now, if some, now you already did mention the need to include human beings. You mentioned things about programming and robotics that you know on at some point coming in. The robots aren't feeding and fixing themselves. Um, I just see, and then the other thing comes, now you, had, and it's, if the robotics are just working on that very basic system again, I don't think they'd be adaptable for that much change. And so then the other component comes in that if you make the robotics um, independently thinking enough in order to be adaptable, then they might just start to think in terms of not wanting to do blood work either. Well, um, one of the other things that I should probably add in as a factor here is that when it comes to things breaking down, we basically, you have to remember that a lot of the, the breakdowns you get, like the fact that your cars are getting designed to be more and more plan obsolete, that they have experts who sit around trying to figure out how crappy can we make a product and still get away with it? How, you know, how, what psychologically, how much can we stretch the trust envelope with our product 
and still make a profit. Planned obsolescence is a, is a serious issue, whereas we would actually, because you're not dealing with money anymore, there's no motivation to make crappy products or as crappy as possible. You want to make things as sustainable as possible. They're not going to break down very often. Um, and if you design them, first of all, this is another thing. Like, for example, in the service industry, there are people who design their cars so where you need a very specific tool to even be able to fix it. This is to prevent people from fixing their own cars, to force them to go into the dealerships. Um, we would be designing our vehicles so that everything that might need to be replaced or repaired would be extremely easy to reach. These are just little examples of essentially how you feng shui the situation, so to speak, to make it you know, much more practical, much easier to do. You know, there will probably, obviously, during the transition, as you know, uh, Heretic was pointing out, you're going to have situations where, obviously, there will still be work to be done. Um, and that's why you start, obviously, with those who are volunteering. If they want to be involved, then obviously they want to, they're going to want to participate, and their motivation is going to come from different things. If I'm in a neighborhood, for example, a Venus Project neighborhood, um, and I want electricity, then my motivation is to get up and go help them build the solar array or the geothermal plant or whatever it is that we're using. Um, if, if I want to, obviously, if I want to have a house, then obviously I'm going to help, you know, I'm, I'm going to work on the house myself. In a lot of cases, your job is essentially taking care of yourself and your local community. So um, just something to take into account there is we're talking about situations where you're going to have to do a lot less service in the long run. Um, and I, I still feel that, um, so they're proving that now. I can give you links later, but they're automating, for example, restaurants. There's a restaurant right now that has no wait staff at all. Everything is automated. There's another restaurant um, where, where they actually, like, you know, the only difference is I would have to say that first restaurant that I was talking about, although there's no wait staff, they still have a cook. Um, but there are also restaurants where the, uh, the cooking is all done by robots. Um, and that's just an example of something that requires, you know, fine-tuning that can be done by robots. And in many cases, as we find out in Detroit, the auto industry is finding that robots are in many cases better at working on some issues, not, not to mention... Um, I'm sure since you live in Michigan, Scotty, you've seen the, uh, the billboards about automated surgery, robotic surgery uh, that's being done on people, which can, you know, in many ways handle that issue. Um, there will still obviously be problems along the way, but in a lot of cases we think that the previous values that, are, you know, that were given to technology um, will only apply to some degree because what people are doing with technology now is basically, as we already stated, they're making it as crappy as they can get away with so that you'll have to go buy another one as soon as they can get you to get into the store to buy it. Um, that kind of eliminates some of the problems of that part of the infrastructure. Okay, well, Neil, thank you for your time. And, um, you know, get in touch when you have a, when this is set up so I can stop by for a visit. Um, but I got a good run right now. I got family members calling into my phone right now. So I'll talk to you later. Well, you're welcome anytime, Scotty. Thank you for calling in and uh, thanks for tuning in. And I'll talk to you later. Thank you, Neil. Yep. Neil, um, before I, I don't know how much longer your broadcast well, is going to be. Well, real quick, uh, just to tell everybody, that was, uh, once again, that was Scotty Bowman, the Libertarian candidate for Senate here in Michigan, uh, 2008. Go ahead. I didn't have a chance to say it, so he was on the phone, but I think it just bears, you know, repeating. I've told some people this before. Um, one of the people that I've met uh, growing up back in Virginia was a, uh, I guess, the district manager of a Meineke or some sort of a, uh, you know, car maintenance place where, you know, where you go to, you know, get an oil change, you know, they fix your engine, you know, whatever. And he was saying mm -hmm. that um, they do engineer it in so your car is meant to break down right after the warranty fails. So the warranty that you bought was essentially worthless. Thus giving, you know, the warranty company money, and then once the car breaks, 
you go in again to get it to get it fixed. I just, I just wanted to uh, you know point that out um, while you were talking about yeah. your know, cars and obsolescence. No, that's definitely the case, and you know, and also uh, contributing to that on the financial institution side of things, cars are often like for example, you, you'll notice people get a car loan, and by the time they're finished paying off their car, it's time to get a new car. You know. <laughs> I remember this friend of mine, you know, he was paying off his Cavalier forever, and then he finally got it paid off just in time for it to break down and him having to go get a new car, which, of course, just means that you're going to go back into the bank and get another loan for another car. You know, this is the way that these systems are set up to perpetually make money, you know, and at that point, the human element is just not really included, um, except for those who are profiting. Did you have any comments on anything, Ezra? You've been quiet. Uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, um, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up, Heretic? Uh, that's about it for today. I'm glad I finally got a chance to call in with you. Um, first time I've ever been on a broadcast, so uh, hi, everybody. Yeah, and you were all worried that you wouldn't be able to do it, and you did just fine. <laughs> uh, thanks, thanks, man. You know, I was actually, I tried calling in earlier. I don't know why, but I guess maybe the system kicked me off. I can hear you, but apparently you couldn't hear me. I had a, at one point Mozilla um, messed up the uh, like connection and I had to reboot everything. But um, as you there, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I had my uh, mic muted there, uh, both on Skype and on my little uh, switch here. I, I've just uh, been playing guitar, listening to what was said basically for the last ten minutes once we got cut off. Ah, okay. Well, um, did you have any comment on anything that was said? No, but I'd like to see you get, you get your friend Bob back onto the show and have a discussion Scotty, with him. Actually. Scotty, actually. Scotty, sorry. That's okay. Uh, well, yeah, he actually, I helped him with his Senate campaign, and uh, he helped me with my congressional campaign. He was a great candidate. Uh, and uh, if he runs again, uh, as I don't really have a lot of choices, I'll probably hit the voting for him again, too, because um, I don't want to vote for anybody establishment, obviously. Um but that was basically it for the show then today. Thank you all for tuning in to V Radio. Um, once again, uh, you will, we're going to have another show on tomorrow at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, that is now my schedule, Monday through Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time here in the United States. Um, I'm hoping to have more panelists. I haven't picked my subject yet. Um, I'm also planning on looking into getting some guests, just like we used to have in the old days. V-Radio would have all these high-profile guests on. It's generally it's just now I've got to switch my focus into finding people who would be relevant to the Venus Project so that my listeners will get the best out of them. And uh, thank you, everybody, for supporting V-Radio. Your donations were extremely appreciated. Um, I'm hoping I can get the same kind of um, response in October. And in exchange for that, obviously, it's one of the major reasons because I had promised all along that if you, guys, you know, if you guys did donate, that I would switch to a regular schedule and have more shows, and that's what I have done. Um, in order to make them fit in with Bold Voices TV, I had to make them only an hour at a time, but you're getting more V-Radio overall. Uh, thanks, Azzy, for being on, and thank you, Heretic, for calling in, and uh, thanks to Scotty Bowman for also calling in. Um, go ahead and say goodbye, guys, and we will end this edition of V-Radio. Take care, everybody. V-Radio.org. Later. <laughs>